0: made me chuckle because he was talking about how he and his wife have been married for a long time and now when they go to weddings he's like they still love each other but you know marriage has jaded them a little bit. And he goes and we know we're jaded because when we're at weddings and they're doing the vows we start giggling. And, and, and he's like, and it's, and it's not like, you know, it's obviously we love each other. and We have all that. It's just that you understand that a wedding is not a marriage, right? That's, that's the ceremony. That's the beginning. The wedding is not marriage. Marriage is the next day when you're going to your honeymoon and your spouse tells you halfway, I forgot my passport. That's marriage, right? <laughs> that's when you're like, I'm going to Cancun by myself. I don't even care anymore. Like, forget that. And so I was laughing about that because, uh, you know, truth be told, we don't have those moments when you're in those relationships, but it's never intentional, right? Like you never want to upset your spouse. No one wants to be in the doghouse like that. Nobody, uh, I I would assume nobody gets married saying, man, I can't wait to ruin this person's life. Uh, No one signs up for things like that. However, if we're not careful, we can very easily cause people that we really care about some serious grief. We can hurt them, especially the more you love, the greater the opportunity for grief. See, when you love someone, I think the last thing you want to do is cause them grief. Uh, Honestly, it's the part that kept me in line for the most part throughout my adolescence. I never wanted to grieve my mom or dad. I never wanted them to be embarrassed or ashamed or deeply wounded because of some dumb actions I had. And even now, as a husband and a father, I don't want to do or say anything that will cause the people I love Grief. It's why Paul felt so strongly that he needed to address some habits that were going on in the church of Ephesus. There were some things that were happening. There were some behaviors that they were engaging in that were causing grief. And Paul felt the need to address it because it was beginning to hurt not only the relationship with God, but literally causing grief to the Holy Spirit. You know, we're kind of wrapping up this series that we've been on in regards to the Holy Spirit. And what I like about this is that reminder that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. Meaning the Holy Spirit has a will, the Holy Spirit has emotions, and the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so I want us to look at this portion in Ephesians, this letter that Paul was writing to the church, because I think there's some important lessons for you and I to take away from here. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And then he says this in verse 30, and this is kind of where we're going to land. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for on the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for on the day of redemption. It goes on to say in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's a lot of habits, behaviors, Issues that Paul is addressing. He's going through a laundry list and I'm sure he's not addressing absolutely everything, but these are some major issues, lying, uh, abusive words, hurtful words, uh, anger, slander, like backbiting, like all these kinds of issues. And what he's saying is everything that you're doing, not only is it hurting you, not only is it hurting your neighbor, it is grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is hurting when he sees you act that way. It bothers him. That word grief, in the original language in the Greek, they used the word lupete. This was a word that described the pain of someone that was wounded by someone else. Actually, its most common usage was to depict the emotions of a betrayed spouse, feeling deceived, lied to, misled, hurt, wounded, abused, All these portray the emotions of a spouse who has discovered that his or her mate was unfaithful and feels hurt, wounded, and grieved. The word lupete would describe all of those painful emotions, and what Paul is trying to let them know is that's what the Holy Spirit feels when you act this way, when you talk that way. When you think that way, it grieves the Holy Spirit because what you have to understand is the Holy Spirit is saying, I have given you all this and this is how you act. I've given myself completely to you. I'm guiding you. I'm in you. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're bringing me along with you. You're making me sit in these situations with you and it grieves me. And when you love God, that's the last thing you want to do. The last thing you want to do is grieve the Holy Spirit. And so here Paul uses the illustration of an unfaithful spouse. I was thinking about this uh, not too long ago, maybe a few months ago, uh, Pastor Izzy and Ariel and I were, were in a text thread, and uh, she was upset because of a recent uh, acquisition that the Chicago Bulls had made. They picked up a player uh, named Tristan Thompson, and even now her lips are, are snarling. She does not like Tristan Thompson. And it's not because of his basketball acumen, all right? He's really, he's kind of at the end of his years. He's not that great. He's a journeyman. Um, but, you know, we needed a body, and the Bulls picked him up. And so here's the problem. Her two favorite teams are the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Chicago Bulls, both of which he has played for. Now, if you're wondering, well, what's the problem with Tristan Thompson? Why is it such a big deal? Well, Tristan Thompson is more popular for who he's in a relationship with than his basketball game, right? Because he is, uh, I don't even know now, depends on what day of the week it is, but he has been on this on-again, off-again relationship with one of the Kardashians. And it's been very public. And more public than his relationship with her has been his infidelity, his constant cheating on her. And again, this is a a beautiful woman. She's paid a lot of money to look that way. And, and, I'm not, I'm just saying, she's a beautiful woman, right? She's got all this going for her. She's got a lot of money. You would think, well, why would you cheat on her? Listen, man, if Halle Berry Beyonce can get cheated on, I can get cheated on, all right? And so it's not about the looks, right? But here it is. And so here's, I sent her this message this week because in, in recent reports, it came out, actually on court documents, that his one of his most recent endeavors was on his 30th birthday party. His wife or his girl, Chloe Kardashian, threw him this lavish birthday party. I mean, expensive 30th birthday party. On her social media, she did this long paragraphs of just declaring her love and her appreciation and how amazing of a man he is. And on that day, he flew to Houston and cheated on her with his personal trainer and impregnated her on that day and so I sent this to Ariel knowing it would greatly upset her and she's I told you that I said I'm gonna for your birthday I'm gonna buy you a Tristan Thompson jersey and I'm gonna and she said, you wouldn't do that I was like no 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 my, my point is, like all of us are like, yeah, we don't know the guy. We don't know their situation. But again, we don't, you know, we don't like that. We understand that feeling, that hurt. There's so many people that feel for this woman. And I'm like, I get it. But you, know, you don't know her. But again, we, don't, we understand. We put ourselves in those shoes. And we think, man, what would it feel like on that kind of a public stage to be embarrassed, to be hurt, to be betrayed? And yet we do that to the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. We embarrass the Holy Spirit when we act the way we act sometimes in person or even via social media. When we wear the title of Christian but act like heathens, when we step out of line and we do things that the Holy Spirit would never want us to do, we are publicly shaming the same way this basketball player is shaming this reality star. We are publicly shaming and grieving the Holy Spirit when we start to act in ways that the Holy Spirit never called us to act. So today I want to look at some tips that I think are going to help us avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go ahead and just use that theme of of spouses to kind of help us out. If you're taking notes, the first tip you're going to want to learn is, man, you got to let go of your ex. Okay, that sinful nature, you got to let go. Now some of us, we let go, but we ain't let go all the way. Some of you still got your ex's number and you need to delete that number. Some of us, we call up the human nature when when we're feeling lonely or when we need something. We, we, we have that connection just in case we ever want to go back to the old life. Even though we know God has set us free from it, even though we're grateful for what God has done to bring us out of it, every now and then we sit there and we start reminiscing about the old days. It's almost like when you look at uh, the Egyptians, I'm sorry, the, the Israelites, when God set them free from Egypt, right? They're, they're free from Egypt. They're roaming the desert. God is providing a, a pathway for them. He's given them a pillar of fire to guide them. He's given them a cloud to cover them. He is constantly, he's literally making bread fall down from heaven. And they have the audacity to say, I'm tired of bread. You remember the meat we used to have back in Egypt? Man, I wish we had that meat in Egypt. See, they remember the meat of Egypt. They just forgot the slavery of Egypt. And that's what happens a lot of times. We look back on our past, on our sinful nature, on who we used to be before Christ set us free, and we start reminiscing about the good old days, and we forget about how bad those days really were. We just go, man, wasn't that fun? Maybe that night was fun, but you forgot that morning. Maybe that moment was fun, but you forgot the effects it had on the people you care about. Maybe that process was fun when you just think about it momentarily, but when you look at the lifespan of what you've been going through and you remember everything else with it, it's not so much fun. When I started dating my wife, I was pretty confident early on, this is the woman for me. And so I got rid of every plan B I had. Every woman that I thought was interested, every woman that I thought I might have a chance, I just went ahead and deleted the number. They didn't do anything wrong. I'm just like, no, listen, I'm throwing them all out the window. I don't even want the option because I'm all in on this. Still all in on this. My woman, like I'm still all in on this. And in the same way, when it comes to the Lord, this you got to be all in. You can't be halfway with the Holy Spirit, halfway now. Because again, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives within you. So everything that you do that's contrary to the Spirit, everything that you do that is feeding the sinful nature, the flesh of your body, you are bringing the Holy Spirit. You are literally cheating on the Holy Spirit in front of him. Listen, Ephesians chapter four, verse 21 through 24 says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This, this verse here, it gives you the illustration of old clothes and new clothes, uh, of filthy, dirty, smelly clothes, that old nature that you take off. And because you took it off, Christ then cleansed you with his blood. He, he washed your sins away. He made you as white as snow. You are clear. You are purified. You are righteous before God. And so now that you're clean, he wants to put new clothes on you. Could you imagine if you or your children, you give them a bath? And immediately they put back on the muddy clothes that they had right before the bath. What good is that? What good is it if you take a bath and you put on the filthy, sweaty clothes that you were wearing to the gym before you took your bath? What you did is you, well, you took what was clean and you just made it filthy all over again. You nullified the bath, you nullified that shower. And so here in the same way, when we go back to the old sinful nature, when we look back at those habits, when we start to do those things again, it's, it's almost bringing shame. It's, it's crucifying Christ all over again and saying, listen, I know, I appreciate what you did, but I'm going to put that old stuff back on. We got to get rid of that X. We got to get rid of those old clothes. Listen, I'm notorious for it. Like, I don't know if you all know this, but like a lot of you guys like going thrift store shopping. Big people can't go thrift store shopping. We don't, we don't give our clothes away. We just wear it until it's completely gone. I ain't never been to a thrift store and found anything that I fit in. It's just like, we just wear it until it's disappeared. And my wife hates it. My wife, she's like, there's way too many holes in that. I was like, it still fits. Gonna, you hide the hole strategically like nobody knows. And nobody will know who's going to know. But what does she do? She says, no, this got to go, this got to go, this got to go. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit rummages through your closet and says, hey, that's old nature. I know we ain't gotten rid of everything, but it's time to get rid of that. Them underwears, they ain't working no more. They're still under, but they ain't wearing. You got to get rid of them. So number one, you got to let go of your ex. Number two, man, quit acting like you're single. Okay? Okay. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. There is a ring on your spiritual body. Quit acting like you're single, right? We've seen it in the movies. Hopefully none of y'all are doing it. But those people, you know, they go to the bars, they go to the clubs, and, and they take the ring off, right? But you still see the tan line. You know what's going on there. Listen, for me, I'm going to be honest with you. When I'm talking to people, especially when I'm talking to a woman who I don't know who's new, I like to talk with my left hand. I do a lot of this. I mention my wife. <laughs> oh, my wife does. Like, I'm like, just, I know I'm not like the most attractive man in the world, but I, you know, just in case you got ideas, person, I am sealed. Like, I'm locked up. Like, this is me, like I ain't, and listen, I'll be honest, I don't like wearing a wedding ring. When I get home, I take it right off because I'm allergic to metals and sometimes it gives me like a little rash and I just I don't like wearing it, but I don't leave the house without it. Because I'm sealed, I'm locked in. This this is everyone else's sign. Now, how embarrassing would it be if you see somebody with someone who's not their wife, they're still holding that ring on their finger. We gotta quit acting like we're single. The Holy Spirit has placed a wedding band on you and everything you do reflects on him. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse 21 through 22. I love this. I'm gonna read it in the Amplified Translation because I love the little clarity that it brings here. It says, now it is God who establishes and confirms us in joint fellowship with the Trinity, with you in Christ, and whom has anointed us, empowering us with the gifts of the Spirit, It is he who also has put his seal on us. That is, he has appropriated us and certified us as his and has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge like a security deposit to guarantee the fulfillment of his promise of eternal life. When I gave my wife that ring (laughs) and she placed this ring on my finger, it was a seal, a promise of a marriage, of a commitment, of being with one another and no one else. When you said yes to Jesus and and you repented of your sins and you were honest and genuine and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit then became that wedding band, that seal that told all the darkness of the world, they belong to me now. This is mine. How insulting then to go back into that world and say, I know I got a ring, but hey, we can just fool around. It's only a little bit tomorrow. I'll ask for forgiveness. Hey, listen, I'm just, I know, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I've been good for so long. I could just do this a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm going to go back into doing that. Listen, it's, let's just be honest. It's like that. And again, I'm not, I've never been in that scene. I never understood it. But even if I'm just imagining it, I'm just imagining like that 45 year old guy at the club acting like he's 21. You know, trying to go up and dance on some girl. She's like, ooh, get away from me. (laughs) And then you see that wedding ring. You're like, that's gross, you're married. The insult that that brings. The sadness that that brings. And even worse, can we be transparent? There are some people who are attracted to that wedding band. Who want you because you have a wedding band. And don't get me wrong. The sinful nature, it likes pulling you away from God. The enemy, he delights in ruining one of God's children and causing them to backslide and causing them to turn back because in the enemy's eyes, you were never his to begin with. I got you back. Look at how easily I got you. We have to be careful because when we act like we're single, don't be surprised when you start doing things that single people do. When you act like you don't have a relationship with God, don't be surprised when all of a sudden you don't anymore. Samson in the Bible, he kept playing with God like that. He kept acting like he wasn't a Nazarene. He had a vow to commit. He was separated from everybody else. He was a judge of Israel. He had titles. He had appointments. He was gifted. He was the strongest man that ever lived. Samson was anointed and appointed by God, but he kept messing around with it because he liked women. And he kept violating his vows. He kept doing things that a Nazarene was never supposed to do. The problem was he still had strength and every time he would do it and he'd get in trouble, his strength would get him out of it. His giftings would get him out of it. But don't act like God's silence is God's permission. And so what happens eventually is, if you know the story, he's he's with this woman, actually a Philistine, the enemy of God at that time, and he tells her eventually the secret of his strength. She cuts his hair off, and then the Philistines come in, they capture him, they tie him up, and he thinks to himself, I'll do like I did before, and when he tries to break out, he realizes he can't. And then to me, the scariest verse in the Bible is laid out right there. He did not realize that the spirit of the Lord had left him. You keep acting single, don't be surprised when one day you are. You keep acting like you don't have a relationship with God, don't be shocked when you turn around and realize he has left you already. And not because God would abandon you, but you have abandoned God. The third thing is this, not only do we gotta stop acting single and let go of our ex, but man, you gotta start acting right. Watch what you say and do. You got to start acting right. Listen, when we read what Paul was writing about, lying, stealing, anger, slander, rage, all types of evil behavior, it would be easy to assume that Paul was writing to unbelievers. But he's not. He's writing to an established church. This isn't a new church. This isn't new believers. This is a church full of the Holy Spirit, this is a church established by the by the Apostle Paul. This is a church. This is, this is like if God came to Belmont and said, hey, listen, Belmont, start acting right. You're doing this, this, and this. Stop it. And it's easy to assume that he's talking to them, but he's talking to the church. And I feel like he's still talking to the church. Because the church now, Big C, the entirety of the church, we're still doing a lot of these same things. We're still lying. We're still stealing. We're still having anger and slander. I mean, again, let's just look at how unappealing Christianity is from a cultural standpoint. When everything that is heard from a Christian's lips is not edifying to the body, but it's destructive. It's anger. We're mocking other Christians. We're ridiculing unbelievers. We're demeaning people. We're we're laughing at their insecurities and their pain. We are the very thing that God has set us free from. And what does that do? It grieves the Holy Spirit. It hurts the Holy Spirit because here's the problem, right? If we could just be very transparent. I don't care who you think your enemy is. I don't care if they're a political enemy, if they're a cultural enemy, uh, if they're just, you know, whatever. Like, it could be another baseball team for what I care. Like, I don't care who you think your enemy is, okay? God died for them too. The same grace that you received, he's offering to them. So who are you and I to then hold that against someone that God doesn't hold against you? Who are you and I to demean someone that Christ died for? To hold anger and bitterness and rage and and lust and all the sinful natures and desires against someone who Christ bled on the cross for to redeem them. And it doesn't matter who they are. They are a human being. And the Bible tells us that Jesus died so that all might believe in him. Not just culturally, not just politically, everyone. And so we have to be careful because when we belittle these people, when we're angry at these people, when we hurt these people, we do it to Christ. Jesus said, remember when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you came to visit me in prison, you did it unto me. And the disciples said, when do we visit you? When do we feed you? When did we?" do He says, when you do, to, when you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. Well, if that's true for the good thing, isn't it true for the bad thing? that whatever harm you do to the least of these, you do it unto God. Listen, James chapter one, verse 19 through 22. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God as planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I love that the scripture reminds us that the oneness is on you. You throw off all that. You put on the new clothes. You get rid of this and that. God will help you. The Holy Spirit will empower you, but you still have to do it. There is a responsibility on your hands and on my hands. The Holy Spirit might convict me to do something, but I still have to be the one to do it. The Holy Spirit might tell me, go and tell that person this and that, but I still have to go and tell that person this or that. And so the Holy Spirit will lead you, but it won't drag you. Like you have to be willing to step into that, and so too often, when it comes to our sinful nature, we say, "Oh God, take this filthy habit away from me." And God's like, "Get rid of it. You got a bad, you got a bad weed habit. Okay, delete the number of your dealer. Get rid of the drugs. Tell tell another believer to hold you accountable, and stop getting high. Oh, it's not that easy. It's not that hard either. You have the Holy Spirit." The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead can't get rid of a weed habit? <laughs> of course you can. It's not that you can't, it's that you really don't want to. And the fact that you don't want to, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Again, if, if, if you couldn't help it, that's one thing. But the fact that it was all within your strength, your hands, that's a whole nother. Worship team, if you can help me out. Now I read this letter to the Ephesians And you think that after Paul wrote this letter, the church of Ephesus got things in order. But it doesn't seem to be the case if you keep following along with the story of their church. Because about a generation later, John gets a revelation from the Lord. And he pens a book that we call Revelations. And it's a revelation of the end times and of things to come and and God gives them these visions and in one part in Revelation in the first couple of chapters or at least specifically in chapter two, uh, Jesus is writing a letter to seven prominent churches in this time. One of those letters is to Ephesus and he admonishes Ephesus. He gives them credit for the things that they're doing well. Listen, Revelation chapter two, verse two. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this one complaint against you. Say, listen, you do all these things great. You serve great. Hey, Belmont, man, you, you do so many. I saw what you did yesterday for BGMC. You raised almost $1,000. I saw what you're doing in the youth ministry and the impact you're doing in our community. I, I see what you're doing on Sunday and, and the way that you're ministering and the way that you serve people and you serve the community. Man, I see that. But I got something against you. I hold this one thing against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look at how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. As a spouse, what good is it if you go to work? You, you, you pay all the bills, you buy the nicest house, you get all the cars, you, you get all the clothes you want, you take care of your spouse, you make sure your kids go to the best schools, you give them everything they need. What good is it if you do all the things you're supposed to do as a spouse, but you don't love your spouse? I don't want that. What good is it for Cicely if she, if she raises my kids and she cleans my house and, and she cooks me meals and she provides financially and she does all these things that she's capable of doing if at the end of the day when I come home she doesn't love me? I don't want to come home to that. I'd rather be broke and loved. <laughs> okay, I'd rather be struggling with someone who loves me than thriving with someone who doesn't at the end of the day that's where our relationship is rooted in. And in the same way church what good is it if we as Belmont Assembly have phenomenal worship good preaching great service if we have a a dynamic children's ministry a a thriving youth ministry a a successful young adult ministry if we give to missions over and above if, if we're doing all these great things But in reality, we don't love God. We're just here kind of as an enterprise. We check in, we check out, we show up, we do our little things, we pay our tithes so that God doesn't get mad at us. And then we go home and live our lives however we want because at the end of the day, we don't really like God. We're just afraid that He'll send us to hell. So we check off the boxes. Listen, if if that's what God wanted, if God required obedience, He would have just made us obedient. What He desires is your heart. What he's after is your heart. What he gave his only son for is so that you and I can have a relationship with Jesus, a faithful, obedient one. What the Holy Spirit desires is intimacy with you, to fully know you and to make him fully known. So I'm gonna ask you to stand as we get ready to close. Eventually, every relationship has got to get back to the basics. When marriages start to fall, it's because we stop communicating with each other. Marriages fall when we stop dating our spouses, when we stop expressing our love to them, when we stop um, when it stops being our money, and all of a sudden it's my money. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're not communicating with each other, it's what happens when we stop praying. When we're not dating our spouses, it's what happens when we stop spending time in our word and being intimate with the Lord. When we stop expressing our love to our spouse, it's the same as when we stop our worship to the Lord. When it starts being my money instead of our money, we forget that everything we have came from the Lord. So when He asks for tithes and offering, it's not a sacrifice. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray. We need to be intimate in God's word. We need to trust God with our finances and our giving. We need to be passionate about expressing our worship. We need to get back to our first love. That's all it is. And so here's how I'd like us to close. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want you to look inward. Where are you? when it comes to your relationship to the Holy Spirit? Are you starting to slip away? Are you looking back at that old nature? Have you been tempted? Have you been engaging in things and actions that you shouldn't be? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit or are you bringing joy to the Holy Spirit? And truly, that's only a question that you and the Holy Spirit would know. So I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand up or raise your hand. It's between you and God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to help you. And then my challenge to you is whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, act on it. If the Holy Spirit tells you, hey, I need you to, to get rid of this relationship with this person, or, or I need you to start doing this more, or, I, need you to start, I need you to start coming to the prayer meeting, or, I need you to, to start creating accountability and building relationships with people in the church, or, I need you to be more committed in serving. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you directly, and I believe if you ask, you will hear a response. Yeah. But that's going to be your responsibility. So if we leave this service and nothing happens, with all due respect, that's 100% on you. Holy Spirit, we've been sealed by you. Our relationship is intact. We didn't have to do anything simply receive. But Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those times where we've looked back at the old nature and we desired the things of our past, forgetting the pain and only remembering the pleasure. God, I'm sorry for those moments where we've allowed our heart to drift, God, where we started to create habits anew, Lord, where where even new things started to spring up. Lord, I'm sorry for those moments where we stopped worshiping you, we stopped acting right. Lord, I'm sorry for those moments where we act like we don't have a relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I ask even now, would you bring the conviction that only you can bring? Lord, not a guilt trip, but a feeling, a desire that makes us want to draw closer to you and be better for you. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to love you the way you love us. Help us to be just as committed to you as you are to us. We thank you for this all, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Amen. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Now, listen, I just want to reiterate this as you walk away. You know, the work I do in my marriage doesn't happen in front of people. It happens when it's just me and my wife. And in the same way, the work that you're going to do with the Holy Spirit happens more often in private than it does in public. I don't care if you show up and you start lifting your hands and the prayer meeting gets packed out, but your heart is far from God. So I challenge you, church. Seek the face of God. Go after the Holy Spirit. Get back to your first love. And have intimacy with God. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday at our prayer meeting.